know that uh, many of you are here to honor your mothers this morning. We thank you for worshiping with us today, and uh, we hope you enjoy worshiping with us today. Uh, we do want to recognize each of our mothers in the congregation, though, so I've asked Brother Buster to come and, and to, uh, to help me do that. Uh, you know, I was uh, talking to, to my mom uh, this week, and, uh, you know, it's just real easy for us kids to be kind of selfish. Driving in the car, and uh, uh, the thought that I had for them, you want to look at that while we do this. Uh, we're having some mic troubles this morning, as you've heard. But uh, I was driving down uh, from over at Jones Creek into, into town here, and I thought to myself, I just have a few minutes, you know, here, and so I'll just reach out and I'll talk to mom. And so, you know, I get mom, you know, it says on, on my phone, Mama T is.
from a mother's perspective. Uh, it is my habit normally here at, uh, at Unity and elsewhere to uh, read the entire chapter of the scripture because we don't uh, read a lot of Bible together. Uh, but this chapter is long and it's uh, probably not completely Mother's Day uh, appropriate. And so I'm going to just take my comments today out of a certain section of it. John chapter 19, we're going to begin reading in verse number 19. Who is Jesus? observations from a mother's perspective. Uh, we find in this particular chapter here, we find Jesus is at the end of the crucifixion scene. He is almost about uh, to give up the ghost and, uh, and uh, pay the price for your sins and mine. And uh, we find in this scene here, and it's not a real pleasant scene, Sister Gladys, it's a pretty bloody scene. This was not the first time that a cross had ever been used in, in Israel. Many uh, people had been crucified before. The things that would happen were pretty grotesque. I suppose in the day of action movies would be a lot more uh, blood and that type of thing than, than we probably care to. But this was not a scene that we probably would have taken our children to. It's not something that we really would have wanted them to see. This was something that uh, uh, was just uh, not real uh, pleasant uh, at all. There was where they crucified Jesus, though, a place for bystanders. And one of the individuals who is at the scene of the crucifixion, at the scene of the cross, is Jesus' mother. She's there, and she has a group of friends with her. It's kind of interesting to me that Mary attracts Mary, according to this particular passage, because we find it in uh, John chapter 19 here that she stood afar off for a little while. They were off in the distance, and they were doing what they needed to do to, to crucify our Lord and Savior. And Mary, Jesus' mother, is there, and she looks on from afar off with Mary Magdalene to her side, and Mary, the mother of Cleopas. It was a group of Marys that were overseeing of the cross. They had been friends together for a long time. Apparently, they had followed Jesus from Galilee from time to time. This group of ladies had supported him. They had taken care of him during his three-and-a-half-year earthly ministry, and I believe that they were there at the, at the scene of the cross, and they were brokenhearted. The Roman soldiers, they didn't care at all. The chief priests and the scribes, they, they didn't care, and they wanted him dead. But there were individuals in Jesus' life, like his mother, who had watched him grow up, who had watched him become the, the man, God, that he was going to be, who had uh, just cherished him in her arms from the time that he was very, very small, and now was seeing him fulfill God's will for his life. And so today, 
Jesus too. And when we read this passage, you're going to read of an individual. And John, because he was the humble man of God that, that he was, he refers to a, a disciple. That disciple is John that wrote this particular book. And so uh, John, as he writes these scenes of the cross, and he tells of Jesus' mother there at the cross, and as he tries to convey to us the scene that paid for your sins and for mine, See with a tender heart, who is Jesus? Observations from a mother's perspective. We'll begin at John chapter 19 and verse number 19 with our reading, and we'll read down to verse number 27. We'll start a little bit ahead with Pilate. It says, And Pilate wrote a title, and he put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin, the common languages of the day, so that they could all read it. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, remember the hate that was in their heart towards Jesus, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate, who was the Roman governor at the time, he, he wasn't going to have this kind of insurrection going on. He said, what I have written, I have written. You know, as you look back through other portions of the scripture, it's possible that Pilate, and it's possible that Pilate's wife, had come to understand Jesus for who he was. That they understood him for not simply being uh, a man who was on trial, or a man who was... Uh, at the odds with the Jewish leadership, but that they had come to understand that he was a man from God, that he was possibly God. And so when Pilate takes and he looks at these religious leaders, he says, what I have written, I have written, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then in verse number 23, it says, we switch the scene a little bit. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, the other Gospels, they kind of give us more detail, but John comes and quickly takes us to the cross. He only writes the things that according to him in this particular book he wrote so that we might believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to believe. And so John found that it important that we go from Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, immediately to the soldiers when they had crucified Jesus. They took his garments. They made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now, now his coat was without seam. It was woven from the top and throughout. No stitches. In verse number 24, they said, therefore, the soldiers among themselves, let us not rend it or tear it, but let's cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled which saith, they parted my raiment among them. For my vesture they did cast lots. And these things, therefore, the soldiers did. If you want to just take a quick note, if you have my handout this morning in your bulletin, in Psalms 22 and verse number 18, you'll find these words, they parted my raiment among them. For my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. In verse number 25, we begin to see those who had gathered around. John begins to describe a tearful scene. 
And he says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now when Jesus, therefore, saw his mother, and you have to remember that as you read this particular passage of Scripture, that the Scriptures tell us that he was marred beyond recognition. He, he has been beaten. He has gone through six different trials, three secular trials, three religious trials. And each one of these, they have beaten him. They have taken a lash to him. He is almost unrecognizable at this moment in history. He is completely in agony. He can hardly breathe there on the cross. That was the design of that particular execution. And he looks at his mother. I think she had come down at that point from the place afar off. And John seems to put her right by the cross as he pins these particular words. Wherefore, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then he saith to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. I know this is beyond our text, but I think it's important. He said, I thirst. Now there was a vessel full of vinegar. They filled a sponge with vinegar. They put it upon hyssop, put it to his mouth. So, so maybe he didn't even really, you know, say this very loud or, or well. You know how when my mouth gets dry, it doesn't come out, you know, very well. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it's finished. And he bowed his head, and he gave up the ghost. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come before you as a congregation this morning. We worship you for who you are. We thank you so much that you died on the cross for our sins. We thank you that you gave us an opportunity to worship you again this morning. Lord, I just thank you that you let so many of us come together and worship with our mothers. And we thank you so much for who they are and what they mean in our lives. Lord, as we look at who you are from a mother's perspective, from these verses that John penned for us, I just pray that you open our hearts and our minds, that you let us see you uh, like we've never seen you before. If we don't know you as personal Savior, I pray, Lord, that you uh, just prick the hearts of those, that you would just uh, let them turn to you and see you as the God who could be their Savior. And Lord, for those of us that have known you for a long time, I just pray that you take this view of yourself from a mother's perspective, and that you just come and bring us to a place where we love you more, where we want to serve you more, where we want to go out into our community and bring others to know you uh, as well. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the scripture that you give us. I thank you for the poignant scenes that you give us so that we understand who you are. We thank you that you reveal yourself from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And so we come before you today honor you as our God and as our King. And we come before you in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if we look at who is Jesus, observations from a mother's perspective, I think that we have to start way back up in verse number 19. 
And Pilate wrote a title, put it on the cross. The first observation that we see from his mother's perspective was this, this sign that is, is hanging on the cross above her son's head. And here's what it said. It says, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And so our first observation is, Jesus is the crucified king of the Jews. Now Pilate, he was no stranger to turmoil. Pilate had been uh, brought into the area of what uh, they considered Palestine. Because the Jews were a people who were always contentious. They always wanted their own way. They always wanted their own statues. They always wanted their own commandments. And even though Rome was the empire that had conquered the whole world, the Jews themselves, they're in little tiny Palestine, much like the little tiny Israel that we see today in the Middle East. They were very intent to rule themselves, to have their own law from the law of Moses, and they just didn't have anything that they wanted to do with Rome and Rome's domination. Rome had brought legion after legion across the, the world to put down the insurrections uh, of the Jewish people. Other rabbis like Jesus had come into the country before and tried to start this rebellion and that rebellion. And essentially that's what the chief priests were trying to place Jesus at. Just another rabble rouser. Just another person who was trying to bring rebellion to the country. You see, the chief priests uh, and the scribes, they had, had created a system of religion where they were making a lot of money. People would bring their oxen, they would bring their pigeons, they would bring their sacrifices. If you didn't have just the right currency to do your sacrifices in the temple, well, they kind of laundry money, mob stuff. So they had this thing going on. <laughs> Jesus brings the truth of Scripture. And he brings the truth that God loved the whole wide world. And as he begins to spread that message around, those who would be in this mob, they didn't take kindly to Jesus coming in and upsetting their, their apple cart. And so when the chief priests bring Jesus after all of those trials to Pilate, who is the governor of Judea, the one who is supposed to keep order for the Romans there, they bring him and they accuse him. Remember that Pilate tried to let him go, gave him Barabbas as a, as a substitute, all of these things that maybe those of us who have been in church for a long time, you know, have heard and read about the crucifixion. Pilate writes the title, the king of the Jews. And this was not the first time that Jesus had been called by someone important, the king of the Jews.
see from a mother's perspective is the sign that she sees above her own son's cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. You say, well, Brother David, Jesus wasn't born in Nazareth. No. Herod told the Jews, he asked them, he says, where does the scripture say the king will be born? And they went back through the Old Testament. They come to a place in Malachi, and they said, he'll be born in Bethlehem. So Herod sent the Magi to Bethlehem. And in another Mother's Day tale, they find that they find him. And God tells them to go home another way and not back to Herod. We recently have had some tragedy in our congregation of mothers losing their children. But you know,
that Mary must have had as she looked at who Jesus was the king of the Jews and it had to break her heart which is really happy secondly as we move on for the sake of time today Brother Devin is that much better Okay. secondly as uh, we look at the observations of Jesus the second observation beginning in verse number 23 Jesus is the promised Messiah. Now, look, look at verse number 23 with me. It says, The soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took His garments, they made four parts to ever soldier apart, and also His coat. Now, the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but let us cast lots for it, whose it shall be, so that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which says that they parted my raiment among them. For my vesture they did cast lots, and these things therefore the soldiers did. The first prophecy that was fulfilled for Jesus was the birth of the king in Bethlehem. The, the second prophecy that was fulfilled from the Old Testament was his escape to Egypt that brought him back to Nazareth. But then here, this last prophecy concerning the promised Messiah that's fulfilled in this passage as Mary watches it unfold yet again in front of her eyes. Remember that it said after the birth that she pondered those things in her heart as she rocked that baby Jesus. And so here she is now looking at the cross and she sees the last of the prophecies fulfilled from the Old Testament for the anointed Savior of the world. He fulfilled all of those Old Testament prophecies regarding the coming Savior in Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Maybe she read this psalm. You know, the, the Jewish ladies, they worshipped like the Jewish men did. They knew the scriptures well. They, they say that a 12-year-old boy, now think about this, mothers, as you're raising your children. They say a 12-year-old boy in Hebrew society knew the first five books of the Bible by memory by the time they went to their 12th birthday party, right? So, so Jewish men, Jewish women, both knowing the Scripture, Mary had to, to, to recall to her mind, Psalm twenty-two eighteen, that they would part their raiment among them. And she watches that happen right before her very eyes. I wonder sometimes how that poor carpenter from Nazareth afforded such a coat that Roman soldiers of the legion would, would, would want to not rip that thing up. You know, was that coat bought by the worship of the Magi with the gold, maybe? I don't know. These are things for, for speculation. But the fact is that she had seen all of the things happen with Jesus. She'd watched him grow up. You remember that she lost him one time. Lost him in the temple, right? Took him to the festival. Y'all know how it goes when you're out there at the carnival and there's so many people and you, and you just got them running around, right? And some of them are older than the other ones. I think that was probably the case in Jesus' family too. You remember he had some stepbrothers. And they were just all over the place. They went a full day's journey, it says. And they looked around. They thought he was with someone else. You know, it's easy to make mistakes as parents. We just don't always do the things that we ought to. It's important that we have the leadership of the Holy Spirit as we try to 
raise our children as we try to do the very best that we possibly can for them because the, the fact is that we as parents, we can't be everything that we would like to be for our children. We're just doing the best job that we, we can. Remember that she was with him when he got a little bit older. She uh, had some plans for him that he didn't have plans of. Remember the wedding at Cana? And she says, hey, you need, you need to turn the, the, this water to wine. He said, well, it's not my hour. That's not the plan right now. And so even, you know, in his adult days, you know, we see him interacting with his mama, and she's wanting the best for him. She's wanting him to be all that he can be. You remember not just at Cana, but she comes to check on him at the healing of the paralytic. Remember, she knocks on, she, she, the crowd is just inside of this building, so much so that they had to rip the roof off the place to let the, the paralytic down. But as a sub for that scene, Brother Joe, we see his mama and brothers outside. They'd come because they thought he'd lost his mind. They wanted to take him home, wanted to pull him out of the public. And don't we always want the best of that for our children? My mama wanted that for me. We see Mary not just uh, in that place, in his ministry. But now we see him, her at the cross, watching the promised Messiah of the Old Testament afar off, and then closer as the cloud begins to disperse. There's a couple of applications that we can take from this. You don't have to make the decision about what title Christ will have in your life without evidence. There's plenty of evidence from the scripture to say who he is, what he can be for you, that he was not just a man crucified, but God incarnate come to save the world the second application is that the promised christ of the old testament can be your savior today you know we talk a lot of times today about practical applications in churches that christianity needs to be about how we apply things to our life out there but we have nothing as christians if it is not about a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are the most pitiful of social organizations. If it isn't for a relationship that we have with Almighty God. The fact of the matter is, is that like uh, some of the verses that you taught in Sunday school this morning. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came. That he died that he was raised on the third day, that he is a riven, risen Savior. It says in those verses, Brother Buster, according to the Scriptures. And as we give the gospel to people so that they have an opportunity to confess their sins and come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have to remember that second observation that Mary did, that he was Jesus promised messiah of the old testament we got to go forth with joy sharing that message about the relationship that we have and as we move on quickly to our third observation the third observation from a mother's day perspective that we take from this chapter begins in verse number 25 the third observation jesus is our mother's day example 
I want you to look with me at those particular verses. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleopas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, the disciple standing by whom he loved, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then said he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. I want you to just look at the very first part of verse number 28 with me. If you have your Bibles, you know, just put your finger on that. Mark it. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. You know, Mary had watched his life and his ministry, his birth, the wedding of Cana, the healing of the paralytic, the crucifixion. I think she's horrified. I would be if I saw any of my kids in the place where Jesus is on that cross. Nothing she can do to stop it. Nothing she can do to help his pain. I think that, that she's broken. I, I think the, the light that was in her heart on the day that the star shone over the manger at Bethlehem, I think that light had long ago gone out. I think that it was, was dark. I think her heart was just dim. I, I, I think that, that she is just heartbroken at the base of the cross here. Uh, imagine watching your own child go to the cross, and, and even with the Marys there with her. You know how sometimes you're in a crowd, but you're just all alone? And I see Mary here all alone. And Jesus looks at her. In one place in the scriptures, it says, Jesus looks on the multitude. And they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them. I want to be a compassionate person like Jesus. And here he looks down from the cross. And I think with more compassion than he looked on the multitudes. He looks at his mama. And my mama, you know, had to go in for open heart surgery not too long ago. And I sat in her, in her hospital room. And, you know, I'm a grown man. And, and I took her hand. And she said some sweet things to me. And I wanted to say some sweet things to her. But I couldn't. Because my voice kept breaking up. Because the emotions of that relationship... The love that we have. And folks, we're not God. Jesus was. We're just people. And I think he looked with compassion on his mama. He dealt with, I want you to understand this. Jesus, divine God. He takes responsibility for his mother. Emotionally and physically. I want you to get that in a, in a day 
where we stick people in the nursing home. Now, some of you may have people in the nursing home, and, and, and I understand that sometimes that's necessary, okay? But I, I want you to, to know that, that, that he took care of her emotionally and physically. When we read in this particular passage, he, he talks to her first. And he, and he says, right, let's, just, let's make sure we get it right here. We don't want to misquote him. Woman, behold thy son. You, you mamas, you're a strange lot. I don't understand you. I, I don't claim to. But you have a need to mother people. You, you have to care for your children, when, when you don't have children to care for, you care for other people and other things. and Because you have this innate sense that God had given you to be caretakers, to be lovers of people, to, 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 to want to nurture. You want to bring your children up in the nurture and, and admonition of the Lord. And Jesus could have just said... Disciple, take care of my mama. I can't anymore, and so I need you to do this job. But with much perception, with divine perception, he looks at her, and he takes care of her need to mother and nurture. And so he gives her John, the disciple who leaned on his breast, the disciple who he loved. That wasn't for John's benefit, folks. That was for Mary's benefit. And then he looks at John and he gives him a great responsibility. Your mother. John took that responsibility. Did y'all see that? He, he, he took her from that very hour. He takes a complete integration of Mary's life with his and does what Jesus cannot do from that particular moment forward. And as we look at these observations from this chapter about who Jesus is, we have to understand that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that we can have that as a title for him in our own life. You hear me often pray, Dear Lord, I thank you for being our God and being our King. And, and we have to, to look at Jesus as the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, but not just the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Messiah means anointed, and so he can be the king of our life today. And then, as we look at our Mother's Day example, we ought to be people just like Christ in our families, as we raise our kids, in our churches, don't we want our church to be the kind of church where people say they are family-oriented, they are Jesus-oriented? I want that for our church. But as we look at these observations today, you have to take a look at those things and decide what you want them to be in your life. Sister Carrie, as we have an invitation this morning, I don't know the condition of your heart. I don't know what the situation is in your families. I don't know whether it's a joyful time right now or whether it's a time of sorrow. But what I do know is that Jesus is the answer to all of it. Becky and I were discussing this week 
that it, sometimes it's just so lonely, even when you're married and you're living in the same house together, but Jesus is always there. As we stand and as we sing together, will you do business with God this morning? Will you make commitments to Him in your life? Number 396.